Good morning. If you could turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 14. We'll be finishing up chapter 14 this morning. So Mark chapter 14. We'll be reading and starting at verse 66 all the way to the end of 14. Mark chapter 14. The Word of the Lord says, And as Peter was below in the courtyard... One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are, the one, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. God, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're probably familiar with uh, the book series or maybe the movie series, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Jonah's an expert in all things J.R. Tolkien, so I hope I don't say anything that's untrue here. But uh, in The Lord of the Rings, in that series, and in The Hobbit, there's, I think, one of the most terrifying creatures, characters in all of literature. His name is uh, Gollum. And Gollum is this pale, frail, bald creature that lives in the caves. He eats uh, live fish. And then he also eats anything or anyone that happens to walk by him in his cave. He has this raspy voice, and he speaks in the third person. Uh, the movies do, a, I think, a great job of depicting him, but very terrifying, scary character. And you're kind of left wondering, how did this character Gollum come to be in this horrible state? Well, we find out in the books uh, we learn that Gollum used to be a hobbit named Smeagol. And if, you have, if you're not familiar with the books, uh, a hobbit is like a, it's like a certain race of people that Tolkien had created. And they're very human-like, uh, but they're shorter in stature. They got big hairy feet and they got pointy ears. But all, in all other regards, they are very much like humans. They look like humans, act like humans. Uh, I think they, you would consider them a type of person, as what uh, Tolkien would say. But Smeagol, the Gollum used to be Smeagol, and Smeagol had gone fishing with his best friend and cousin, Deagle. And while they were fishing, Deagle gets pulled into the river uh, by a fish, and at the bottom of the river, he finds this golden ring. And in the stories, this golden ring is powerful. Uh, anybody that wears it, it makes them invisible. But it's also got some evil power as well that it makes those around it uh, want it more and give them unhealthy desires. Well, when Deagle pulls this ring up out of the river, Smeagol, 
sees it and he wants it. So he kills his best friend and his cousin, Deagle, for this ring. So Smeagol kills his best friend for this ring. And then he starts wearing the ring and becoming invisible. And he works, goes around his community and he starts hearing people's secrets. And he starts stealing from them. And people start hating him. And they start kicking him is what they said. And he starts biting at their feet. And eventually his grandma banishes him from the community. And when he gets banished... Uh, he starts kind of following the rivers and the streams and makes him his way into caves and he lives in the caves and he stays in the darkness and he becomes pale skin and he loses his hair and this is when be he becomes this hideous creature that is in the stories and there's this interesting point that he's living so much in the darkness that one point he comes out of the cave while he's fishing and he feels this burning sensation on his back. And it's the sun. He had been so far in the darkness that even the light had become his enemy. And he had been living in the darkness so long that he was beat down into this horrible state that we read about in the books. And in our passage today, we see that in Peter's tragic moment of his denial of Jesus, we see that sin will absolutely beat you down sin will beat you down and under that we'll see three points one the reality of sin two the result of sin and then three the response to sin so the reality of sin the result of sin and the response to sin so first point the reality of sin you may remember a couple of weeks ago when we read about Jesus prophesying to Peter, saying that, Peter, you would deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And here we are. Jesus' prophecy on Peter becomes true. It shows itself to be true. While Jesus is on trial before the high priest, uh, Peter is following at a short distance, and he's in the courtyard of the high priest. And Mark, the way he tells the story, he says, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, these, the, the, the story of Jesus in, the, uh, in trial with the high priest upstairs, this is occurring simultaneously as we read about Peter here. So there's two stories simultaneously taking place at the same time. And we knew that Jesus' words of Peter would be true and would come true Peter's sin in this moment was inevitable. He would deny Jesus, and he did deny Jesus. And the reality is that sin is still present in this world. As Christians, we will continue to battle and fight against temptation and sin until the Lord calls us home or until he returns. Sin is inevitable. We will continuously fall short of the glory of God, and we will sin daily. If, if we're honest, this is our reality. We continue to sin. As Christians, this should humble us. At Trinity, we are sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
This should not make us a people that lifts our chins high as though we are better or more deserving or more righteous than those outside these walls. On the contrary, the reality that we are sinners should lead us for, uh, to love our neighbors, a love for those outside of these walls because they do not know the goodness and the forgiveness and the grace of our Lord Jesus. You know, like uh, the old Williams Brothers songs, we are nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody that can save anybody. And sin has infected all mankind since the beginning of time, since Adam disobeyed God in the garden. The scriptures say that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in Romans 3, it says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. And if you're having trouble accepting that reality, we have a good measuring stick to judge whether we are sinners or not. And that's the Ten Commandments. We can look at, I mean, we can just look at a few of those and see, have we kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. Uh, one, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Have you taken the Lord's name in vain? Have you spoken? And on the positive side, has every word that you have spoken about God and our Lord, has it been perfect and honoring to Him? If we're, all, if we're honest, pro no, probably not. We have failed in that regard. What about this? Have, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Have you ever told a lie? Probably, you're right. We've, we've all told lies. Honor thy father and mother. Have you perfectly kept that commandment? No. And James chapter 2 verse 10 says that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Uh, so I hope that I've set forth the reality of sin, that we are all sinners, that we are indeed sinners. Peter was a sinner in need of Jesus' forgiveness, and we are sinners in need of Jesus' forgiveness. Second point, the result of sin, the result of sin. Peter is in the courtyard of the high priest, when the high priest's servant girl approaches Peter and asks him, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. And Peter responds to her saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. And then he walks away and the rooster crows for the first time and the girl comes back to him and says, this man is one of them. That is, th this man is a disciple of Jesus. And Peter denies it again. And then finally, the group recognizing that Peter is a Galilean, and in one of the other Gospels, it tells us that they understood that, or they knew he was a Galilean by the way he spoke. So he had a specific accident, accent that gave, uh, was a dead giveaway. You know, when I visited Ellie's family, they can tell that I am not from Illinois. I don't have a Midwestern accent. I have a Southern accent. So my accent gives me away from being from the South. Yet here... Peter's accent gives him away as being a Galilean, and he would have uh, stuck out like a sore thumb amongst this group. And likely, the only Galilean that would be in that part would be one that was following Jesus. But after they say that you are one of them, we read terrifying words about Peter. It says that he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. 
And many commentators agree that this last statement that Peter invoked a curse on himself means that Peter was blaspheming God and cursing God in, uh, in this very moment. So we see the regression of sin and the result of Peter's sin. Peter had been one of the only disciples, and I, I do want to give him credit because he was one of the only disciples that made it this far. He was one of the only ones that was in, that was in the courtyard. He had been somewhat true to his word. You remember a couple weeks ago, Peter said, I'll die with you, Jesus. So Peter was somewhat true to his word. He is following him into the courtyard of the high priest. He was close Yet the moment of truth arrives. The, the rubber meets the road. A servant girl asked him if he was with Jesus, if he was a follower of Jesus. A simple question, but a loaded question. Had Peter said he was with Jesus, would she turn him in? Would execution be his fate? Would a long-term prison sentence be his fate? Yet Peter knows how he should respond, yet he denies his Lord. Peter goes from, I will die for you, Lord, to I don't even know who you are. So one result of sin is separation. Sin separates us from God. Peter was separating himself from Jesus. He was not wanting to be identified with Jesus in this moment, he put a gap between himself and Christ. Our sin seeks to separate us from God. When we pursue our sin, we turn from Christ and turn to worldly desires. We turn towards desires of our own flesh and we pursue that which does not honor God or love our neighbor. A second result of sin is ignoring warnings. After Peter denies Jesus the first time, he hears the rooster crow for the first time. This should have been a warning cry, a reminder to, Jesus, or to Peter of Jesus' prophecy. Jesus had said that before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. The rooster crowed once. Surely Peter heard that, heard that crow. And, and like Richie had said earlier, a lot of many believe that Mark's account comes from uh, Peter's narrative of the story. So how do we know that Peter heard the he, he likely heard this rooster crow once, yet he ignores it. Pursuit of sin, a willing pursuit of our sin will lead to a hardening of our hearts towards the warnings from God's word and from his people and our sin we don't like to be corrected. We don't like to read the word of God if his word is going to make us feel uncomfortable about how we are living. Our sin separates us from God, but it also seeks to separate us from his people. Sin wants us to be alone and without God and without community of his people. And lastly, the third result of sin is it will beat you down. Peter hears the rooster crow twice, and he is immediately reminded of Jesus' prophecy that he will deny him three times. Peter remembers the words of Jesus, and then the reality of his sin sets in, and he breaks down 
and he weeps. And in fact, in Luke's account, um, Luke's account of Peter's denial, Luke records that after Peter denied him for the third time and the rooster crowed for the second time, Jesus actually looks out and sees Peter and they make eye contact in this moment that had to be so heavy on the heart of Peter that you knew it was going to happen, Jesus, and I have let you down. Sin will beat you down. Sin will beat you down. The past week, uh, the Campbell family, we have been dealing with a stomach bug. And let me tell you, the stomach bug has absolutely beat us down. It started with me last Friday, and I mean, I was miserable. I mean, I was like Gollum. I wanted to be alone in the dark in the basement, not be bothered by anyone or anything. I didn't want to sleep. I didn't want to, or I couldn't sleep, but I didn't want to eat. And I didn't, didn't want to be around Ellie or the kids because I didn't want to get them sick. So I was beat down. Sin will beat you down. Sin, although it seems enjoyable in the moment, it will leave you miserable. It will leave you feeling terrible. It will leave you beat down. And Ellie makes really good chocolate chip cookies. And when she makes them, it is hard for me not to just eat as many as I can put in my mouth. And in the moment, it sounds like a great idea, but eventually it leaves me miserable, feeling beat up and feeling horrible. In the same way with our sin, in the moment, indulging in sin may feel good, may feel like the right idea, may, uh, may, be, make, a, may make us happy, but ultimately, it always leaves us miserable and beats us down. Then the third point, the response to sin. The response to sin. We see, again, Peter's response to his sin. He breaks down and he weeps. And I think when it comes to the reality of our sin, when we face the reality of our sin, we have three possible responses to our sin. Two that I think are bad responses and one that I think is uh, what the Lord calls us to and how we should respond to our sin. So the first possible response is we aren't broken down by our sin. Instead, we remain content in our sin. Um, I used to play baseball in high school and um, in baseball, if you're up to bat and the pitcher throws the ball and it hits you, you automatically get to go to first base. And unfortunately in my career, I was hit quite a few times as a batter, but what we would do is kind of, kind of the mentality of a baseball player was if you got hit, you don't show it. You know, you walk to first base, doesn't matter how hard you got hit, where you got hit, you get to first base and you don't rub, you don't rub the spot where you get hit, you act like nothing's wrong. And we can't be that way with our sins. So, uh, the, the incorrect response to sin is uh, we aren't broken down by our sin. We remain content with our sin. We ignore the crows of the rooster, and we keep on keeping on as if our sin is good and right. And this is a dangerous, this is a dangerous place to be. It, one, ignores the reality of our sin, and it ignores that our sin separates us from God. This response basically says, I don't need God 
and I especially don't need God to tell me how I ought to live. And, you know, how horrible of a thought that is because God has created us. He's our creator, a good, loving creator. He has given us life. And he knows what is good and how we ought to live. It's not that he is telling us uh, live this way and so we won't have any joy. No, his, the way he commands us to live leads to joy and freedom and peace. You know, think about a basketball game. If there were no, or any game, if there's no rules in the game, if everybody can just do whatever they want to, the game is not fun. There's no freedom in the game. But when uh, the basketball game has rules and, and guidelines and boundaries and things, everybody's free to play and it's more enjoyable. There's order and there's not chaos. There's order. So a second response that I think is wrong is... Uh, but it can be confused as being right. It, this one is a little bit more confusing, is that we are broken down by our sin, but we stay broken down. There's no hope. We are consumed with our sin, and we are broken down by our, by our sin, and we believe that that is all there is for us. And this is equally as dangerous. And here's why. Because that position says, I need God, but God can't help me. That I need, I'm a sinner and I need God, but I'm so bad he can't help me. And that, that tells a lie about God. And it puts you in an equally dangerous spot because it separates you from God as well. And then the third response, which I think is the appropriate response and what scripture calls us to respond when we are in sin is that we are broken down by our sin, but our brokenness leads to repentance and trusting in Jesus. And I know we've been talking about sin and its darkness and it's weighty. It's a weighty subject. And you're probably thinking, where is the hope in this story of Peter? But here is the hope in Peter's demise. Here is the gospel in Peter's horrible situation. Many commentators, when they read this passage about Peter's de uh, denial, they believe that Peter is on his own type of trial as Jesus is simultaneously on trial as well. Peter is facing the questioning of the high priest's servant, whereas Jesus is facing the questioning of the high priest himself. Peter would fold under pressure and he would deny Jesus while he's questioned. Peter would end up blaspheming God in the end and he would curse Jesus in the courtyard. Yet here's the good news. Jesus does not fold under that pressure. He's getting questioned by the high priest. He's innocent. He doesn't deserve to be there. Yet he accepted the guilty verdict. He is the Son of God, yet they falsely accuse him of blasphemy. The, 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 the charge that you could have actually placed on Peter in that moment, Jesus takes it. He takes the charge of blasphemy. He would take the guilt and the punishment of death. 
while Peter is stuck in his sin and fails tremendously at this mock trial before the servant of the high priest, Jesus stands over Peter, remarkably bearing Peter's guilt in this moment and the guilt of all his people as he goes to die for them. The kingdom of God is not filled with righteous people with their chins held high as they walk boldly in their own goodness and their own righteousness. The kingdom of God is filled with broken down sinners that trust in a perfect Savior, knowing we cannot be righteous on our own. That we need Jesus to be righteous for us. We need Jesus to die for us. We need Jesus to rise from the grave for us. So how can we be a proud people when Jesus has done it all? So what is your response to sin? Are you walking proudly as if it's no big deal? Deal? Do you care that you are separating yourself from God? Or are you broken down by your sin? Has it beat you up? If you are beat down by your sin, God is showing you grace. He is letting the rooster crow before you so that you do not continue in your sin. Don't stay broken down. Run to Christ and be forgiven. He will remove the separation and he will lift you when you are broken down. Let's pray. God, we are sinners in need of your mercy and grace, needing you to do it all, Lord. And you have. You have sent Jesus, Jesus to stand trial on our behalf, to Take the weight of our punishment to bear the condemnation that we deserve uh, so that we can be uh, no longer separated from you, so that we can be your friends and that we can be adopted as sons and daughters through the mercy of your son, Jesus Christ. And we know now that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we're beat down, Lord, we know we can come to Jesus and he will lift us up. So we pray now that if for those that are beat down by their sin, that they would go and run to Jesus. For those that are proud in their sin, that they would be broken down. And so that it would lead them to trusting in Jesus. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.